you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Marla Brazel. Marla, do you want to say hi? Hello. Uh, now, you haven't been on Ruby Rogues. That's probably pretty close to a first on this show. Most of our uh, guests on this show have been guests on the other show. But uh, you do work at Test Double with some of our past guests, such as Justin Searles and Josh Greenwood. Do you want to just give a little more of an introduction since we haven't heard from you before? Sure. So, hi, everyone. Um, I am Marla Brazel, and like Chuck mentioned, I am currently working at Test Double. Um, I live in Denver, Colorado, and I am a little bit of a different story than the guests that you have on here. I've been programming full-time for almost four years now. So before that, I was working around tech, um, helping manage teams, scale teams, and finally made the switch to be on those teams myself. Nice. Ooh, this is going to be a fun interview. We're going to get all <laughs> kinds of good stuff. And I'm hoping awesome. to get a couple of you're doing it wrongs for my team. So we'll see how <laughs> we'll it see goes. How that goes. <laughs> Probably awesome. get some myself too. <laughs> yep. So how did you get into programming? Yeah. So I, let's see, I've been working in tech uh, spaces for about a decade now. Started as a project manager, worked my way sort of up into engineering management on the process and, and team building side. And a couple of years ago, was lucky to land at a startup in Boulder, Colorado, where I was helping them sort of grow their grow their engineering team. They had just recently raised a round of funding. And I worked with some awesome folks where basically in exchange for sort of helping them on the engineering management side, they were giving me insight into the technical work that they were doing. And eventually it sort of became a uh, grass is greener type situation where <laughs> nice. I found their work more interesting than mine. <laughs> Makes sense to me. So what was it then? What, what about coding did you like as opposed to what you were doing with, with the other areas you were working in? I, you know, I like that there, as soon as you sort of solve one problem, you just sort of unlock the next level. And so your work is never done and there's always more to learn and there's more puzzles to solve. And, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't really stagnate in a programming career if, if you're determined to keep learning. And that was really attractive to me. That's, that's really true about programming career. And it's funny because a lot of people are, well, oh, I'm stag stagnating where I'm at. Well, then you either find a new set of problems that they'll let you solve or you move. Right, exactly. I mean, there are always, if you're stagnating, there's, there's something else that's going on. But yep. 
in the right environment, you can keep going upward. And that's what I always tell folks who are thinking, you know, is it time to switch jobs? Is it time to move on? And, mm-hmm. and the answer to that is, well, are you, are you growing? Are you learning? And if the answer is no, then you find something else. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of what I tell people. Um, I have a course on how to find a programming job. It's kind of geared toward new people, though it'll help people who aren't finding the job they want just as much. But yeah, it's what do you want out of your career? Because a lot of people, you know, they don't think much about it beyond, well, I want to write code and I want to get paid. And it turns out that there are a whole lot of other things that go into, gee, I really like the place I'm at. So yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's important. And I think people don't realize that about programming careers. And and I think this is something that, you know, starting from a non-programming background, I've internalized is code is sort of the easy part. You know, Mm -hmm. you can sit down, you can read a book, do a tutorial, ask somebody questions. And then there are all these other harder parts of your job that are code adjacent. And those are the trickier things to figure out. Yep, absolutely. And I think, I think that's become more and more of a thing as uh, programming has progressed. I think the stereotypical loner programmer who's sitting in a basement writing code, that might have been a thing for some people in the 80s and 90s. But now it's so collaborative and there are so many other parts that go into this, especially with the Internet and the way that we use it, to where that's just not a thing anymore. Well, I like to think that's a lot of what our work at test double is about mm-hmm. is we're helping businesses, companies, people solve programs or pro- solve uh, problems. And maybe programming is sort of the avenue through which we do that. But so much of our work has very little to actually do with code. Yep. Very true. It sounds like a lot of this insight comes out of the um, project management and other things that you did. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think having that, background before going into programming has made some things a lot, a lot easier for me than if I, when I look at some of my counterparts who came into programming from other areas. And, and I really believe that any skill that you have before programming translates, you know, if you were a server at a restaurant, you have these customer service skills, you're able to Mm -hmm. adapt, you're able to solve problems on the fly. That's, that's so important to programming. But I think understanding how development teams work and maybe more importantly, all the ways that they don't work, um, has been super useful now coming into programming myself. Yep. Absolutely. I'm kind of curious, how did you wind up as a project manager? You know, I sort of fell backwards into it. Um, I graduated college right as the housing market imploded. And I think like a lot of people felt really fortunate just to have any job. Um, so I actually started working at, um, as a technical support rep at a large financial services company and then sort of got promoted into project management and sort of worked my way up that way. Nice. I so can relate a lot to of, that. A lot of empathy for how people use and, and you misuse computers. Yeah. My first job out of college, I ran the technical support department for a startup. And yeah, kind of moved up into QA and then went and got my first programming job. So I, I, I definitely identify with that. It's a tough, it's a tough job uh, yeah. to be in. Yep, absolutely. And it's, it's even tougher when you're the person that deals with all the people that are either too angry or have too weird a problem for anyone else to solve. Right, right. <laughs> You've got to do a lot of interpretation. And I think, I think it really helps you build empathy for, for the user. Cause I think when you're programming a lot of times, it's all too easy to forget 
that there's hope, hopefully a human that's using the tool that you're making and, and being able to sort of adapt to the ways that they're going to use it and the problems they're going to have with it is important to building the right thing. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's move along a little bit. How did you get into Ruby? Was that the same time you got into programming or is that a different story? A little bit of a different story. Um, so when I was, so the first code I ever wrote, I think was like a lot of people where I wanted to have a, uh, pink AOL profile. Um, so I wrote a nice. little bit of, wrote a little bit of HTML, uh, to make that, you know, a, a middle school girl's dream, um, of a profile. And then when I was working alongside coworkers at the startup, that was actually a Python shop. So I got into Ruby because I actually saw a girl develop it intro to Ruby course in Denver. So I signed up, um, it was eight hours of coding. It was amazing. And it was, that was actually my second time trying Ruby. The first time was several years prior, um, when I was working as a project manager, wanted to try out a language that seemed beginner friendly, tried to get Ruby going on my windows XP environment. Uh, spoiler alert, didn't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> I had a, uh, I had a hello RB file that had uh, puts, you know, hello world in there and could not get it to run for the life of me. And now oh, I understand man. that was, that was not me. Uh, that was the computer. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So then girl develop it, uh, took, took my MacBook pro to that class. So went a lot better. Eight hours of Ruby. I loved it. I remember getting picked up from that class and, you know, was going on and on about how much fun I had and came home and promptly passed out on the couch. So nice. loved it. And at that point decided to make plans to, uh, quit my job and, and figure out how to go full into programming. Nice. Very cool. So what was it about Ruby then? I mean, you'd done Python and a few other things at other jobs. So why Ruby? Ruby reads like English. I mean, I think that's why a lot of people like Ruby as you can, you know, once you get over the hump of learning how to sort of read programming languages in general, you can read Ruby code and, and figure out what's happening, even if uh -huh. you haven't spent a lot of time writing it yourself. So I think to me personally, that's why I have always loved Ruby is I think it's easy to relatively easy to figure out. Right. Um, honestly, the other, the other piece of that was as far as options for learning to program, they were using Ruby for that. So it was kind of a mix of my own personal like for this language and a matter of convenience. Gotcha. So how did you wind up at test double? So I wound up at Test Double because I took an Uber with Justin a couple years ago out to a barbecue restaurant in a gas station during RailsConf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the lesson here, I guess, is it, sometimes it is a good idea to get in a car with a relative stranger. But <laughs> I wound up at, yeah, so Justin and I met at RailsConf several years ago, and he reached out to me sort of this fall and asked what I was up to. And at the time I was starting to think about what I wanted my next move to be. And so the timing was great. Uh, and Twitter, Twitter is good for some things as it turns out as well. So pretty serendipitous. Nice. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I can't tell <laughs> you though, how many people I've met at conferences and then it's like, okay, who are you? What do you do? And then do you want to come on my show? So it, it, it yeah. does happen. 
Yeah, I mean, it pays to go and go to conferences and meet people and be nice to people and be open to adventures. And even if it involves crossing state lines in an Uber to go to a barbecue joint, like (laughs) (laughs) just do whatever you got to (laughs) do. Yeah. Well, it also just shows the value of the conferences, right? I mean, absolutely. you go, you sit through some sessions, you learn some stuff, but it's the people you meet and that's the real magic. Absolutely. And that's what I say. I mean, if you, if you're only there for the talks, you can, you can watch those in your sweatpants on the couch if you want, but you go there to, to meet people and get exposed to different ideas and different people that you otherwise may not get exposed to in your normal circles. Yep, absolutely. So what, what have you done with Ruby that you're particularly proud of? Yeah. So right now, um, so I'm actually one of the co-organizers for Denver Startup Week. So Denver Startup Week is the largest free entrepreneurial event in North America. It's at the end of September and our entire infrastructure is built using Ruby and Rails. Um, so I've contributed quite a bit to that website. So that I'm pretty proud of. I think it's a great counter to anybody who says, you know, Rails doesn't scale, Rails can't do this or that. We've got, during that week, we've got tens of thousands of people that are hitting that website um, and it stands up beautifully. So that I'm really proud of. Just in general, in terms of other work that I've been doing, I've done a lot of work in the civic tech space. So that's not all entirely in Ruby. A lot of that was actually in Closure, but bringing that back to Denver Startup Week, trying to sort of bring some of those ideas into that work to make not just tech spaces, but community spaces more inclusive for people. I think that's a really awesome Mm -hmm. testament to sort of what we can be doing with our code to make things better for people. Yep. That's really interesting. Do do you have some particular examples of some of the, the civic work that you've done? Yeah. So I used to, before I was at Testable, I worked for an awesome nonprofit organization um, called Democracy Works. And they their entire mission is to increase voter turnout in elections. So they're, non-pro- they're nonpartisan, they're nonprofit. They just want people to be voting not only every four years and like in the presidential election that, you know, we're all familiar with, but in local elections. So voting for school board, voting for uh, town council people, things like that, and helping people to sort of overcome some of the barriers that are in place to participating in those elections. So did a lot of work around sending people everything from election reminders, like you've got an election coming up, this is what you need to bring, to helping local elections officials track absentee ballots to make sure that everybody gets their ballot and everybody turns it in and there are no problems with that. I should get you to argue with my father-in-law about this. <laughs> I don't know. That might be too much. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting. I mean, on one hand, I... I I'm I'm kind of a, a politics junkie, so <laughs> I don't know if we should go into this, but it's it's definitely interesting, right? It's you know uh, all all of the politics aside, you know the impact, right, mm-hmm. um, of getting people out, getting people involved, you know, to the degree that we can, and and this is this is where I think a lot of the arguments over you know whether or not you want to increase voter turnout is getting people informed, right? Right, because uninformed exactly. voters are, you know, they in my opinion, they kind of mess up the system because they really don't know what they're voting for. 
But at right. the same time, you know, everybody has the right to vote. And so if that's your method, you know, I'm not going to argue you don't have the right. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, it. How, how many people have you gotten out to vote? How many people have you gotten involved? How many people are now watching their politicians and saying, I don't like what you did. I'm voting for the other person. So this platform, um, so I think one of the, the most, I guess, impactful statistics from this, one of the things that Democracy Works does is they partner with, with Google Civic so Ventures to surface elections data. If you type into the Google search bar, like, where is my election? And you have that hero, I guess, mm-hmm. that pops up under that tells you where that data was also part is also partner powered by Democracy Works. And that had over 120 million impressions during the 2016 election cycle. So oh, this wow. is this is reaching it's reaching people. They've got I'm I'm not sure what the numbers are now, but I imagine close to a million folks who have used their service, either the first version which was built on rails or the current version, which, uh, was built in closure, which is the one that I worked on. So they're reaching a lot of people. They're sending out a ton of elections reminders. They're sending people a ton of information on how to, you know, get the right form of identification for, Mm -hmm. to vote wherever they live. So it makes, it makes a difference. And especially in the local elections where people don't, People don't show up to local elections. People don't show up to federal elections, but they really don't show up to local elections. So being able to reach even a small number of people, like 20, 50 people, can make a huge difference Mm -hmm. in those cases. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. I know we've kind of veered off into the politics. So, yeah, two years ago for the 2016 election, the way that things work in Utah is that we have a caucus system caucus convention system. So you go out to the caucus meeting, you elect delegates, the delegates go talk to the candidates, and then they go vote in the convention. And whoever comes out of the convention with enough votes is the nominee. And if not, then it goes to a primary. And so if you want a say in Utah anyway, because Utah is very, very red, right? Mm-hmm. So so if there's an R next to their name at the general election, you can pretty much count on them getting elected. Mm-hmm. And so um, what's really interesting is, is that if you want to say in Utah, going out for the general election only, you know, if, if you're going to vote Republican, you're just going to vote Republican. It's not going to, you're not going to, you don't have as much of a say, right? Because everyone else is going to vote Republican and it's just going to, that's the way it's going to go down. They're going to win with like 80% of the vote. So if you want to say you go out to the caucus meetings and, you know, or you, you either run to be a delegate or something like that. And so, yeah, I love the idea of telling people, look, these are the political events that are going on. These are the things that you need to be out for. Cause if you're not, then, you know, your voice is not being heard. Right. And it's, and it's about showing people how to get involved because that information, I mean, depending on where you live, you know, Denver, mm-hmm. we're fortunate that we have a phenomenal elections office here, but a lot of jurisdictions make it challenging for people to vote. And that can be, you know, without getting overly political, sometimes that's by design. So ensuring that people aren't disenfranchised because they simply don't know where to find information is important. That's fair. But I also, to your point, you know, that people only show up on the presidential elections. So the 2016 caucus, there were like 500 people at our caucus meeting. I mean, it was, it was nuts. It was in the gym at the junior high. I was going to say, is it in the gym? <laughs> and and one entire side of the bleachers was completely full, and there was it was standing room. Wow. Uh, and then this year, 20, 2018, because it's a midterm election, 
And, you know, we have some state offices up. We probably had 80 people there. And it's just, yeah, you know, people pay a lot of attention because it's on the news to the presidential election, not so much the other things. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, I like the idea of getting people involved and then getting them out at least, you know, for some of these events because it's, hey, look, you know what? This matters as much as the other thing. You know, you complain about the idiots in Congress. Well, then go out to these events and vote or whatever. Anyway, I'm 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 rambling about something that I'm really. <laughs> this is no longer my Ruby story. <laughs> I know, right? But but anyway, anything else that you've worked on in Ruby that you're particularly excited about or want to talk about? Yeah, so I guess one of my I I know we're going to get to this later, but one of my picks just to jump the gun. I've recently been working with a library called I guess I haven't been building this, but working with this library called Dry RB, which basically brings some functional concepts into Ruby, which, you know, obviously Ruby is an object oriented language and people don't think about it as a language that you can introduce functional programming concepts into. And so this library basically does that. So he was using this recently on a client project to build kind of a long, complicated pipeline process into their workflow. And this, I loved this library because it took something that could have been laden with conditional statements or just very complicated and gnarly to understand and allowed us to build these like very tight, concise components and compose them together into this longer thing and gracefully handle errors and everything like that. So that as far as like things that I've been working with in Ruby, that was really exciting to me because it sort of opened my eyes to how you can use paradigms that are commonly found in other languages and bring that into Ruby and really do some powerful things. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. I'm poking around the website and it looks like they, uh, they've got a couple of people, um, including, uh, Peter Solnitsa. So working on it. So anyway, cool stuff. You may also learn what a what a monad is in the process. So, <laughs> sounds like a dirty word until you figure out what it is. It is, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is definitely something I want to dig into, and so maybe we'll get you on the show so you can talk about how you've been using it. Totally. Yeah, that would be awesome. Or the other show, I should say. <laughs> on the, I'll go the backwards way. Start yeah. here and then do rogues. Yep. Yeah, the show I guess is not specific enough when we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the things that we're doing here at DevChat. Anyway, what are you working on now? So right now, um, I am doing a lot of work on the uh, on the Denver Startup Week website. So I'm doing on the code wise. Um, we are about to open our call for proposals. So shout out to anybody who wants to speak there. Um, but doing a lot of work around basically making as much of the website and the functionality administrable by the non-technical folks on the team. Um, so doing a lot of work with active admin to pull stuff in there. Um, we recently published a code of conduct and making sure that's integrated fully into all the areas of the website, things like that. So a lot of work there working, obviously client project on test double. Those are sort of the code things that I'm working on. And then doing a lot of community outreach uh, work around Denver Startup Week as well. So that sort of consumes my professional day-to-day. That's really cool. And I love, so here, here's another one. We might go off on some tangents here, but I just, I love the idea behind startups and people going out and creating their own things. 
I, I feel like that's really where things move forward is where people see a problem and go fill it. Absolutely. And I think being able to make a lot of the work that I focus on there is making sure that that community and those avenues are available to everyone and not just proportioned according to whatever resources you might have at your disposal. So making sure that folks have access to those resources, people have ways to meet people, ways to get funding, things like that. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, also just the, and and I could talk for days about this because I really suck at it, but the (laughs) the making it, making things easy to use for the non-technical folks. You know, I've been working on a website that allows people to manage their podcast content and sponsorships. And, you know, I just barely promoted somebody, you know, who works at devchat.tv to kind of be the, the production manager. And so I'm handing all of this stuff off to her on a system that I've built for myself that I've been using for a while. And I know there are going to be things in there where she's going to be like, what in the heck is this? <laughs> so how do, you, how do you approach that? I think the approach that we've sort of been doing, because this is, this is a volunteer project, is we kind of w- unfortunately have waited for things to come to us as like, oh, this is frustrating having to go in and update this markup 85 times. Like, how do we make it so that we don't have to go in there? So one thing we recently did is we use, we use a platform for managing emails and inquiries that come in and they have a place to store like a knowledge base. So wiring up our website to that API so that we can write our FAQs through that platform so that they just update on the fly whenever you update something and we can have our community manager basically go in and change those things as they need to change. So that's sort of one example of how we've offloaded that. The other thing is just trying to think of sort of as the event has grown, because it's grown, I think we had about a 42% increase in attendees from 2017 over 2016, we had over 19,000 people (laughs) register for last year's event and thinking about like, what were the pain points in handling that number of people and, or what, you know, where did we maybe sort of dodge a bullet last year, but we're not going to get lucky again this Mm -hmm. year and try to proactively address those things before their problems. Right. So those are sort of the two ways that we approach that, but it's really, it's myself and and one other person that are working on the website. So it's kind of what are, what are the things that we don't absolutely need to be handling ourselves through, Mm -hmm. through the code base and, and how can we get those things off of our plates as quickly as possible? Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, it's, it's tough, especially on the volunteer projects where it's, you're only working on it a few hours a week. Right. Absolutely. So it makes, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and that I understand too, because that's all the time I have for this particular system. So, all right, well, let's, let's go ahead and do the picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code bridge 10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20 and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. 
To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Awesome. Yeah. Are these non-code, code, both? Whatever you want. So non-code. So I do a lot of skiing in my free time. So a couple of skis that I love. I've been riding a pair of vocal auras um, that are a nice, big, heavy ski that are great for spring skiing. And a pair, I'm looking at a pair of powder skis for sort of a backcountry setup. So that's completely in the non-code realm, but love to get outside to sort of clear my mind and not be near computers. Um, nice. <laughs> not, not being near computers makes me better at computers. Dry RB, that's been a big one. That's been really fun as far as writing some functional Ruby. Other libraries, things that I still love. I'm going to give an old school shout out to Git X for staging gnarly Git commits. Um, I think Justin and I are maybe the last two remaining people in the Git X fan club, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just, for me, when I'm working on projects, I always love to go back and like look, read through five times uh, what it is that I've worked on. So I'm hoping that that my fork of that stays up as long as possible. Nice. I've got a few picks as well. Yeah, but, let's hear them. So uh, you mentioned that you live in Denver and I'm going to be in Denver on Thursday and Friday. And Saturday. Actually, I'm going to be in Vail on Friday and Saturday. But Nice. Anyway, there's a company called Brebug, and they do projects. I know them from the Angular community. I don't know what their preferred backend is, and generally I tend not to care, as long as they're doing cool tech stuff. But anyway, they, uh, they're flying me out, and I'm going to be talking about automating code processes around Angular. So, Awesome. I, in Denver? In Denver, yep. It's, it's the Ang Denver Angular Meetup. I, I don't know what the details are, but it'll be Thursday evening. And uh, yeah, so I'll be there. Of course, by the time anyone but you hears this, it'll be over. <laughs> I was going to say, when is this podcast coming out? <laughs> in, in a few weeks. So uh, anyway, I, I'm just really digging that. And, and I really appreciate them flying me out. But the way that they've been giving me my itinerary details is through a program called TripIt, which is an iPhone app and uh, a web app. And so what, what they do is they just put the, the flight details in there and they have access to manage that particular trip. And so, yeah, then I just, I know when I'm flying in, what my itinerary is while I'm there and when I'm flying back out. And so I've, I've really been happy with that. In fact, I've started putting my other trips into TripIt and then adding my wife as a viewer on my, That's on my so trips. That's so easy. It's That's so, so nice. nice. Yeah, so she if I change something, she gets notified and then she can look up and see when I'm flying in. So That's when so she has to come pick me up, it's it's really, really nice. Do you remember the days when airlines used to mail you your tickets before your trip? <laughs> I know, right? And then we got all high tech and you used to have to print them out on your own printer. And yep. now you just walk up with it on your phone. <laughs> I just looked over because I couldn't even remember if I still have a printer. So <laughs> times have changed. Um yep. Yeah, on the topic of travel and, and awesome travel apps, I just booked a car through Silvercar for the first time. So I'm going to uh, be going completely app-based for an upcoming trip. And I'm curious to see how it turns out. But I'm pretty excited to, to hopefully not have to stand in a rental car line late at night after a long flight. 
I don't even know what silver car is. It's so they have a fleet of Audis basically. Uh-huh. And you can book them. They have an app and you book the car through the app. And then when you land at the airport, I guess you go into the app and tell them you've arrived or what have you. And they tell you where to go get the car and the car is waiting for you and you don't have to stand on the line. And then when you drop it off, I think we'll find out, ask me in a couple of months, you basically just drive up to the entrance to the airport and there is a queue to drop it off in. So you don't have to spend 45 minutes getting rid of the car. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's always fun. You pull in and then they have to inspect the whole car and make sure you cleaned it out. Oh gosh. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the lot is, you know, five miles away from the airport and hopefully there's a bus waiting for you, et cetera. Is the lot only five miles away from the airport in Denver? Because it feels like it's a whole lot further. You know, it's funny because Denver is my home airport. I have no idea where the rental car lot is here. (laughs) I've rented cars there twice and it, you get on this bus and I swear it feels like you're on that bus forever getting out. The Denver airport, it's not technically in Denver. It's only in Denver because there's this tiny strip that sort of extends from city of Denver to encompass the airport, but the airport is basically in Aurora. So yeah, the, the airport is 20 minutes or so half hour from Denver. It's ridiculous. There's a train now though, that goes from the airport. So to anyone who is flying into Denver, you can take the train downtown and it is, it's great. That is my, that's my other pick. It's the Denver airport train. Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. But yeah, so I'm going to pick Trip It and then I'm trying to think. I should probably just let people know where I'm going to be. So if you're a Ruby Rogues listener and you're curious where you can find me over the next little while, and I'm going to turn my head and look at my camera. I'm going to try and pull my microphone around so you can still hear me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be at NGConf, and this will probably come out right around NGConf. So if you're in Salt Lake for NGConf, let me know because I'm going to be up there. Of course, I live near Salt Lake, so... Um, that's not really a big trip. I'm going to be in Las Vegas from the 20, I think the 27th through May 1st of April for a conference called MicroConf. And then the 3rd and 4th of May, I'm going to be speaking at Ruby Hack, which is also in Salt Lake City. And then May 7th through the 9th. So the, the, those two weeks are going to be kind of crazy. I'm going to be in Seattle for Microsoft Build. And so if you're going to be at any of those conferences, let me know. I would love to connect with you. I'm Probably going to see if I can make it out to an event in June, but I'm not I'm not sure yet. And then in July, I'm going to be in Philadelphia from the 24th to the 26th for podcast movement. So if you want to connect at any of those, even if you're not going to those events, uh, just email me or tweet at me and say, hey, I live in Philadelphia or Las Vegas or wherever, and I'd love to grab lunch. And we'll see if we can work something out so that, you know, you and anyone else in the area who wants to come can, you know, we can just come and hang out and talk about code. So anyway, uh, yeah, my travel schedule's gotten a little bit crazy. <laughs> but I feel uh, like it comes in waves. <laughs> yeah, it does. And, you know, I've got all these other things going on. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the push. And then the last thing I did mention might get a job course. So if you go to devchat.tv and look under uh, products, then you should be able to see a link there. At least it'll be that that link will be up by the time this goes live. So anyway, uh, definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, those are my picks. Perfect. Um, I will, I guess, piggyback on there with one more, if that is all right. Yeah, go for it. Um, so anyone who is listening um, 
Denver Startup Week is September 24th through 28th um, in downtown Denver. In years, last year, we piloted something called the Ambassadors Program, where we had folks from outside of Denver who wanted to come check out Denver, maybe on behalf of their company, thinking about moving here, thinking about starting something here. We ran that last year, and I believe we have plans to bring that back. So for everyone who is not in Denver and sort of wants to check out what some of the buzz is about, keep posting over the summer. We'll post details to denverstartupweek.org. Nice. Very nice. Uh, one other thing I forgot about and I wanted to start mentioning on the show that I should chime in with. So yeah, we're just going to keep going with this. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm starting another Ruby podcast called Ruby Rants. Uh, they're going to be five minutes or less every day. And the idea came out of, I was talking to somebody about uh, the Alexa flash briefing um, I don't know if you're aware that, but you can actually set up your Amazon Echo so that it will play news stories for you. And you can set it up so that as you add different skills that provide flash briefings, it'll play those flash briefings for you. And so as you're getting ready to shave, be that your, your face or your legs or whatever you do during your day, you may, as you get going, tell Amazon or tell the Echo to play your flash briefing and it'll play through those. And so, yeah, you, you should be able, once I have it all together, for you to just add Ruby Rants as a skill on your Echo. And then when you play your flash briefing, you'll get uh, f- uh, five minutes or less about something related to Ruby or careers or something like that. That's so, awesome. And if you're not interested in that, it'll also be on YouTube or on an RSS feed. So you can just get it on your phone. But yeah, so that's that's something else that I've got in the works that will probably be coming out in the next few weeks. So. Awesome. I might have to get an echo just to listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, that, or you can just listen to it like a podcast, but yeah. Yes. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, if people want to see what you're working on going forward, maybe have a blog, Twitter, GitHub, where are the best places to find you? Yep. I live on the internet everywhere as Marla Brizel. So Twitter, GitHub, and personal website. So fortunately, nobody nobody else has my name that I'm aware of. So okay. just Marla Brazel all over the internet. Do you want to spell that for people, Brazel? Oh, yes. That is B as in boy, R-I-Z as in zebra, E-L. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was fun. It, it's always fun. So many great <laughs> people out there. Awesome. Well, maybe I will catch you on Ruby Rogues at some point. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.